Good morning, my name's Derek, one of the pastors here. Grab your Bible and open to Acts, that's where we're going to be. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the cage in front of you or under you. There's one within arm's reach. There's probably four within arm's reach. So <laughs> grab one, grab two if you need, whatever. And if you don't have a Bible, feel free to keep that. Just write your name big on the front and take it home with you. Um, so I've, uh, I've revealed some things about myself a little bit more lately. Um, a lot of you probably thought I was really cool, and, and more and more you're seeing I'm just kind of a big nerd. Well, here's another one of those. I really like the show Stargate. So if you've, yeah, okay, some other nerds in the room, that's great. Uh, Star, if you haven't seen Stargate, it's really this cool show where there's this ring, and you can go to like hundreds of different worlds and meet the inhabitants there and go through adventures and fight aliens and make friends with other aliens. It's really cool. Anyway. It's old. I mean, it's from the 90s. But I found it, uh, I think, when Netflix was coming out for a long time ago. But I started watching it, and Callie watched it some, and she didn't like it as much as I did. Uh, I liked it at first because the main character was MacGyver. Um, remember that? I don't know his real name, but MacGyver. And I loved MacGyver when I was a kid, so I'm like, oh, I got to watch it. Anyway, great show. I'm talking to my dad at one point. They're out visiting. And I said, have you ever seen this show? He's like, no. I said, it's great. And I start telling him about it. He's like, that's Star Trek. I'm like, no, it's Stargate. He's like, eh, that's Star Trek. So I, uh, and, and he's a little bit older. Uh, he might be watching this, but, you know. So he was a kid when the real Star Trek came out and watched the original. So I, because of Netflix or whatever it was at the time, went back and watched Star Trek. I'm like, yeah, okay, it's Star Trek. <laughs> I, I, I mean, it's, it's cool, but the old Star Trek was really cool too. And then I started watching, you know, the other Star Treks, and those are kind of cool. And anyway, my point is, Stargate wasn't new, but they took an old premise and reused it and buttered it up, whatever, and it's pretty cool. And, and actually, just this last year, a new Star Trek came out, Picard, and he's like 80-something, and he's still making them. Um, and I got to see one for free, and it's pretty good. And as you look at Netflix and all these other streaming services, there's a lot of shows out there that follow the same kind of model. I think Battlestar Galactica and go on. I mean, all you nerds know what I'm talking about. There's all these shows out there with the same type of premise, going to different planets and whatever. And here's my point. If it ain't broke, don't fix it, right? People like it. Keep reusing it. The enemy. We have an enemy against us as Jesus followers and as humans, and his tactics haven't changed much for thousands of years. The things he did thousands of years ago to keep people away from God or to distract God's people from really being used by him haven't changed very much. Uh, you know, he'll dress it up a little bit. He'll name it or allow us to name it something different, uh, cover it. But really, it's kind of the same, which makes our Bible really relevant. I mean, it's relevant anyway. But as we look, as we read here, some of the enemy's tactics, and then we look at culture and society around us, we go, I, I recognize what's happening. I see through it. You know, and the Bible tells us, don't be deceived. You know, have your eyes open to what's happening. We look around, we look at Scripture and scripture is really, really relevant to us wanting to walk with God. Now, our mission, you know, as, as Jesus followers, as humans, why are we created? We're created for a relationship with God. We're created to glorify God. We're created to worship God. That's why we get to do this together. We want to sing. We want to worship. It's what we're made for. The greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? Uh, the great commission, go make disciples of all nations. So, we are supposed to, as humans, first come to salvation in God through Jesus. 
Then he wants to transform us, make us more like Jesus, meaning getting rid of sin, growing in him, serving, giving, all these things, and then going and taking this good news to the world around us. Well, there's an enemy, a very real enemy that wants to prevent all of that from happening. Prevent people from coming to God. Prevent us from growing, from being transformed. Uh, to, you know, we could try and just add Jesus and then kind of stay the same. And then prevent us from going. And by the way, the enemy has been very successful in the American church at doing this. Getting the church, to, allowing the church to just become its own little bubble and make no difference in the world around it. So, as we are aware of the enemy's tactics today, we are going to look at one. And it's called idolatry. Idolatry. Uh, and we're going to see this in Acts 19. Idolatry in that day and age and other places in the world right now really took a very physical form. They would make something out of silver or wood or stone, and it would be their God, and they would worship it. They would pray to it and whatever, and they would sell them. And, and so idolatry was a very physical thing. Now, in our day and age, you know, we're much more enlightened. Um, <laughs> I mean, really. And, and so we've moved through, oh, no, there's no spirits anymore. Um, it, we understand it's all evolution, whatever. And so today, in America at least, idolatry needs to look a little bit different. You're probably not going to go into somebody's house and they're going to be like, this is the God of my house right here. And it's this little statue. We don't, we don't work that way, but idolatry is still real and prevalent and doing its thing. Uh, here's a quote by Timothy Keller, which I wanted to start with about idolatry. What is an idol? And he says it very well. An idol, it is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give you what only God can give. A counterfeit God is anything so central and essential to your life that should you lose it, your life would feel hardly worth living. An idol is whatever you look at and say in your heart of hearts, if I have that, then I'll feel like my life has meaning. Then I'll know I have value. Then I'll feel significant and secure. There are many ways to describe that kind of relationship to something, but perhaps the best one is worship. It is. A relationship to something that is not God that we worship. And by the way, we are made to worship. We're made to worship. And if we don't worship God, the one true God, we'll worship something else. And look around, it could be a sports team. You know, people are really sold out to that. It could be a cause. Go down the list. But anything that we worship that's not God is an idol. So for you, is there anything coming to mind right now automatically? Is there anything that, that kind of, you have your pedestal in life, and on top is something that's not God? Or maybe, you know, you exchange them, and God is there maybe on Sundays for an hour, and then he comes off. Is there something coming to mind for you that you know is there? If so, maybe make a note of it or, or put an asterisk on that in your mind. We're going to address that. But what is it for you? And if you don't know, here's a test. Where does your money go? This is probably the best test. Where does your money go? Open up your ledger. Open up your checkbook. We don't have those anymore, really. Uh, but, you know, where does your money go? That will tell you what your idols might be. Those things that you give to above God or you give to before God. You know, I've met those people, I can't afford to give. I'm like, okay, you just bought a new motorcycle. I can tell you one of your idols, stuff, things, whatever it is. This motor, You can't give, but you can go out and get a loan. 
that's going to cost you hundreds of dollars for a motorcycle. Things like that. It will reveal to you where your heart is, where your money goes. So let's look in Acts 19. Uh, the, the city we see here is Ephesus. Ephesus, uh, Paul, the missionary, he's the one we're following here in this part of Acts. Uh, Paul spent three years in Ephesus. Ephesus was in Asia. Uh, it was one of the largest cities in that area. And by the way, Asia, don't think India, China, Asia. Think uh, northeast of the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, between the Mediterranean and the Black Sea, if you know your geography. That's what was called Asia in this time. Ephesus is there. It's surrounded by, I think, 230 or so independent communities that looked to Ephesus as its capital. Uh, Paul spent three years in Ephesus, so much so that all of Asia heard the gospel. And the world was being changed. That area of the world was being changed by Christ. But in Ephesus, idolatry was the way of life. It was accepted. That's what, that's what it was. Uh, you would have your own household god. Then there would be other gods. You would worship for this or that and, and idols. And in that city, Artemis was the great god that they worshipped. Artemis of the Ephesians. In fact, that was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world was the temple to Artemis. They had a statue there that they would worship and, and bow to. It was in the temple. They said that statue fell from heaven. And th they talked about it like everybody knows this is true. This statue came from heaven. This, you know, Artemis herself dropped it down so we could worship it. So for them, this was the way of life, idolatry. Let's look. I'm going to start. Well, let me, this is in your notes. Let me get you this before we go into the passage. Idols in our lives prevent God from doing his greatest work in and through us. And we'll be really honest. Idols can keep people from coming to God. You might have things that you're... Like, I can't give my life to Jesus, because if so, I'll have to give up this. That's an idol. Or even for us as Jesus followers, there's other things that will prevent God from really doing what he wants to do in and through our lives. And we're going to start in Acts 19. We're going to start actually a little earlier than I planned to, because we need to. It's relevant. Acts 19, starting in verse 11. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. So that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. Time out just real quick. Uh, don't think this is the way God normally operates or what we should do. God was condescending to the traditions of the people in that area. So they did this stuff anyway with their idols and things. God's point in allowing to work this way, he condescended to humans to say anything that Paul would touch, this could happen, in order to show his power over the way they already did things. So again, this isn't magic. God is saying, okay, I'll go by your dumb things right now to show you my power. The Bible's all full of this. Uh, back on 13. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, overpowered them, so they fled out of the house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. 
So this kind of sets the scene a little bit. This gives you a picture of Ephesus. These are traveling Jewish exorcists who do not believe in Jesus as Lord. They're not followers of Christ, but they're making their money going around trying to do exorcisms. They hear Paul's way of doing it actually works by using the name of Jesus. They're like, well, we'll do that. We'll use this name of Jesus. I mean, just picture this, seven of them. They come into this house with this one demon-possessed man, and they're like, hmm, in Jesus, who Paul proclaims, come out. He's like, yeah, I know Jesus. By the way, every evil spirit would know Jesus because Jesus is God. And Jesus, before he became in flesh, man in flesh, he was the God at the very beginning who spoke and created. So he's the one who created the angels. Some of those angels fell and became demons. So, of course, this demon knows Jesus because he's the one who created him long before. It's like, yeah, Jesus I know. Paul, I've heard of. Who are you? And whooped him. And so they flee, you know, naked and wounded and beat up. The purpose of this, God allowed this to happen so that people hear Jesus through Paul actually does great things. Those who fake it don't. They get whooped. And so the name of Jesus is proclaimed. God is lifted up. This is significant. Now, verse 18, we're going to see what happens to those who do see all this and then surrender to Jesus. Verse 18. Also, many of those who were now believers came, confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it to come to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. The name of Jesus was extolled. The word of the Lord prevailed mightily. People are saved. What happens when they're saved? Again, this is a culture of idolatry. This is what they did. These people are being saved in that culture. Now, they weren't people who were raised in the church. A lot of us, you know, we might have been raised in the church. They weren't. This was new. The gospel came to this area. They hear, they believe. What do they do? They take their magic books, their occultic things, and they burn them. You know the value of this? In today's money added up, it's about eight or nine million dollars. Right? That's a lot of money. I mean, we might consider, well, let's just sell that. Let's just sell that and use the money for ministry. Not them. They burned it. This is repentance. That's what this is. This is a picture of repentance. This was our way of life that was evil and against God. We're done with it. We're not just going to play with it on the side. We're going to be done with it. They burned the books. This is what happens when somebody gives their life to Jesus and Jesus takes over. Jesus takes over. When we're saved, we don't just... Imagine your heart as a, a house. And when you're saved, the idea isn't that Jesus just moves into one room, like the guest room maybe, you know, and not the biggest room, just one of the rooms. No, when we're saved and we turn to Jesus in true repentance, he gets our whole heart. He gets the whole house of our life, and he gets to renovate. As he moves in, you give him a hammer and a saw, and he starts to go to work in there. Not just a piece, and that's what these people did. They gave him their lives, and they repented, meaning they turned from their old way to him. Does that mean we're perfect when we repent? No. Do we need to repent again and again in our lives? Yes. As, as he reveals idols, we turn from those and turn to him. But here they turn and they follow. They get rid of those things in their lives. A full 180 degree turn. Listen, Jesus wants and he deserves our whole life. All of us. We have this thing, especially in the West, where we want Jesus, but we also want all the other things. 
I, I remember this when I was young, when I was in high school, and I had friends who went to church, and they said, you know, I'm a Jesus follower, but I'm not going to be a Jesus freak. You know, I want Jesus, but I also want to do these things. You know, yeah, I'll follow Jesus, but I also want these things that the Bible says no to, but I'm going to do it anyway. That's not true repentance. And often that's not true conversion. Because for that, it's like, oh, yeah, Jesus, I'll follow you, but only when it's convenient. That's not what God wants. He wants all of us. And true repentance we see here will cost. It actually costs to turn and follow Jesus with all that we are. Now, here's the fact. When this happens, our lives change and the world doesn't like it. That's, that's just a fact. If we repent, if we turn, if we start getting rid of those evil things, the world will not like it. The world will always have a problem with Jesus' exclusive claim to absolute truth, salvation, and lordship. Look at verse X, or look at, yeah, 23. Look at verse 23. About that time, there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. That's what Christianity was called at that time. It was called the way. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said, Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see in here, not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying, God's made with hands are not God's. And there is a danger not only in this trade of ours may come to disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she may even be deposed from her magnific magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. And when they heard this, they were enraged and were crying out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. What's the problem? What's the issue these people have with Paul and with the gospel? The problem they have with Jesus? A couple things. One, their wallet's affected. When there's a revival, things start to change. And as I was thinking about our area, what if we saw great revival? We live in a dark area. We live in a wonderful place to live. But spiritually, it's pretty dark. It's pretty dark. We have a low percentage of people who really follow God in this area. And look around. I mean, this is Nevada. I love this place. But with all the addictions, uh, you can look at us listed among the other cities and, and states in our nation. But with prostitution, gambling, we have all these things. We live in a dark place. What if there was a great revival? It would be an upheaval around here. Casinos would lose their business. Liquor stores might start to go out of business. It would change. Imagine what would happen. That's what's happening in Ephesus. So their, their wallets are affected, but also they're offended by Paul, and now the rest of the believers claim, your gods aren't gods. That's what he says, verse 26 here uh, at the end. He says, they are saying that gods made without hands are not gods. Who are they to say that our gods aren't gods? What kind of arrogant person are they to think they have the true God and there's only one? Does this sound familiar? <laughs> this is not new. This is what the world is coming against us more and more. They're against us. It's not just, hey, you Christians believe what you believe and let us believe what we believe. Now they really want us to accept that their belief might be true. We can't do that. There is one God. One God who deserves all glory and all worship. One God who will someday judge. One God who sent his son to die so we could have life. We can't add anything else to that. Our message is not 
one God among many. Our message is not, oh, you can believe what you want to believe, and that's okay, and I'll believe what I want to believe. Now, that sounds like tolerance, that sounds like, but that's not love. Love is to lovingly say, the way you're going, if it's not Jesus Christ, will result in hell, will result in death forever. And there's a way to say that nicely, so go work on that. But, but, but that's the truth. You know, Scripture says in Proverbs, there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it's the way of death. That's where our world is. And so, our message is the same. God's made with hands are not God's. Any God, anything that's worshipped that is not the one true God revealed in Jesus Christ is not a real God. There is one way to salvation, Jesus Christ. And the world will have a problem with this. And this is, the, this is in your notes, but this is it. Gods made by people are not gods at all. The Christian church has actually done this. The American Christian church has said, the Bible says these things about God, but I don't want to believe that my God would never send somebody to hell. Well, then your God is not the God of the Bible. Then your God is not the one true, true God. My God would never tell somebody uh, that, that they can't uh, marry the same gender. Well, then your God is not the one true God. My God would not limit me to sex within marriage. Well, then your God is not the God of the Bible. Hebrews begins that in these last days, God has revealed himself through his son. And we see that revelation in scripture, specifically the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but in all the rest of Paul's writings and the other writings. This is how God has revealed himself. And so anytime you might hear, uh, you know, I know the Bible says this, but the but is wrong. <laughs> because what God says about himself is true. And the problem is people place themselves, and maybe we struggle with this, we place ourselves in authority. No, I don't believe God would be like that. You don't have that authority. You're not God. You're a creation. We are a creation. And so Christian churches do this. They, they in the name of Christianity, will lead people astray into idolatry. Uh, great example. I think it's I don't remember the name of the church, but it's the one that Martin Luther King was pastor of way back when. The pastor of that church uh, has now become a senator or congressman, I don't know which, in Georgia. And their whole stance is abortion is good, same-sex everything is fine. They have abandoned God, but yet they're still a church that people... They're not a church that follows the one true God. Their God is a false God, a fake God, not a real God at all. Gods made by us are not gods at all, which frees us up a lot to just bow to the one true God and let him tell us what he's like. Let him tell us what morality is like. And we are free to submit. It's awesome. We are free to take our idols and just burn them and go, God, it's all about you. The core sin of mankind is idolatry. It is. The Bible is full of the stories of God coming to men and women, coming to mankind and showing his power over idols, whatever it is. He's like, yeah, I'm bigger, I'm better. I'm stronger. I mean, go through this, what he did uh, in Egypt. It's what he did with Israel and other, other places. It's what he did in the early church here. Over and over, God shows, I am the authority, I am the power, I am the only one that's true. That's the story largely of the Bible. Now, I want to make five applications for us. And, you know, as we look at this, I want to say five things, five thoughts about idols in our lives. And here's the first one. 
an idol is anything promising a life of security and joy apart from God. What is that in your life? What is that thing that you think, if I have that or if I keep it, I'm secure, I'm joyful, apart from God? Is it money? Could be. Is it relationships, romance? Yeah, that can happen within marriage. That can happen before marriage. You know, somebody says, oh, if I just find a spouse, then I will be happy and content. And I like to tell single people, be content with just you and Jesus alone, then you're ready for marriage. If you are dependent on somebody else for your self-worth, don't get married yet because it's not going to go well. You and God are good. Then you're ready for that relationship with somebody else. What, what else is there in your life? These can be good things turned into God things. Success. You know, it, you find yourself, this is what I want you know, to succeed in life, and I, I'm going to do this no matter what. How about this one? Kids. I've seen this. People make their own kids idols. You know, and they'll be like, well, I want God to work in my kid's life, but not if it means they become a missionary overseas. You know, uh, I, I, want, I want to follow God. I want my kids to follow God, but not if they live in a different state. God would never do that. I need to be near my grandkids, whatever it is. Kids can become idols or their success, success living vicariously through them. Can we be content with Christ alone and then everything else works out. Number two, idols engage the deepest emotions in our hearts. Have you ever been offended during a sermon? Yes. <laughs> Have you ever been offended reading scripture? Here's why. It's because God is exposing, the Holy Spirit is working to reveal some idols in your own life. And I've had some of you share with me, you know, you offended me. I didn't want to come back. And I came back. <laughs> good. And sometimes people are offended and leave and don't come back because we say things that are true, but it gets to an idol in their life. No, I am so committed to this truth that if you tell me God thinks different, no, I'm not going there. He will offend us, which is good. We need to be offended. We need to be changed to become like Christ. And it's, it's emotional. Idols engage these emotions in our hearts. What did Jesus say about money? He says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where's your treasure? Where's your treasure? Where's your heart? Is any of that an idol? Is it above God in your life? You know, again, as I studied and went through this, money came to my mind a lot. You know, Jesus talked more about money and stuff than any other topic, more than in heaven and hell combined. Because money is often that idol. There was a man that came to Jesus and said, what do I need to do to be saved? I want to go to heaven. I want eternal life. And he said, you know, do all these good things. He's like, I've done all that. He said, okay, one more thing. Go sell all your stuff. Give away all your money and follow me. And this man walked away sad because he was rich. And he wasn't willing to do that. He was religious. But money and wealth was his idol. And he was not willing to give that up to follow Jesus. What if God spoke to you and said, I want you to sell everything, everything, and go do this, move to Africa, whatever. Not only sell it, but sell it and give it away. Would you? Would you? If not, money and stuff is an idol. Where's your money go? What are those things that as you read the Bible, it stirs you? Idols. Third one, idols need to be protected. 
Look, and here you see Artemis. Artemis can't stand up for herself. Artemis is not even real. And so here they have to protect it. Now, Demetrius here, this guy, uh, he's saying, um, you know, what, what might they do? What does he say here? Uh, Artemis might be counted as nothing. And she may even be deposed. Well, if she was a real God, you wouldn't have to worry about that. Right? God does not need our protection. We need his. <laughs> you, you see how that's different? He protects us. He defends his name. Now, are we to defend his name? Are we to preach? Absolutely, yes. But if somebody's slandering, God doesn't need us to fix that person. God, he can handle it because guess what? He's God. But false gods, idols, are not gods. They need to be protected. They need to be protected. Uh, here's one of the things that popped to mind. You know, every Sunday morning, I go back through my sermon, and I pray over it. And here's the thing that popped to my mind on this one that hadn't before. Church. How often does a local church become an idol? Here's what I mean by that. How many times have we heard of churches hiding sin, whether it's sexual sin child abuse, sin, financial sin among pastors or elders, and they hide it. Why? Because they need to protect their reputation. Because they need to protect the giving of those coming. They need to look good. It's all about themselves. That's an idol. If Jesus is first, if it's about God, then when these things come out, we deal with them in a biblical, godly way. We bring them in the open. That's what the Bible says to do. One of your leaders sins like this, you bring them up. You deal with it publicly. Churches don't do that very much. Why? Because it's all about them. I have seen this so many times that these churches, they might have started good. And this is why I say this. We have this danger that it then becomes about us, but it's about the kingdom, not our little castle. You know, so often, you know, churches, as we started Common Ground, I tried to meet with pastors and whatever, and sometimes you hear great things. Sometimes you hear, we're the only good church around. You know, oh, and they just start talking this and that about all the other, whatever. We're just one. The kingdom is the kingdom. We're one church. We don't have a corner on truth. We don't have a corner on the right way to do it. In fact, there's times, go to Discovery today. Uh, if you're new and you don't know what we're about, come to Discovery. You have to. I'm going to stand at the door and I'm not going to let you leave if you haven't done it. <laughs> and part of that will be, this might not be the place for you and that's okay. We'll help you find the place that is. Because God is, we want to see a movement of the kingdom. It's not going to happen just here. It's going to take the other churches and celebrating what God is doing there. So it, there's another idol. You know, I encountered this. Again, this is still under idols need to be protected. Uh, there was a time when, when my reputation was, was under attack. I was being slandered. There were lies being told about me. And at first when I heard about it, it's like, I need to defend myself. I need to get the truth out there. Well, God kind of revealed to me, how about what I think of you as being enough? Because for you to go deal with that is going to cause a stir. It's not going to be good for the kingdom. How about you be content with what I think of you and let me deal with that? That revealed an idol in my own heart of, of reputation, of image. Maybe I'm the only one in the room that struggles with that. <laughs> Maybe not. But, but God reveals, let my opinion be enough and be content with me to deal with those things. Number four. Idols demand sacrifices to keep them happy. Idols demand sacrifices. Uh, in this day and age, back then, uh, there was child sacrifices to certain gods, certain idols. Good thing nobody around here would ever sacrifice their children for an idol of maybe success or money or whatever it might be. 
Our kids still are priorities. They demand sacrifices. I read this morning uh, Elijah and the prophets of Baal. This is in 1 Kings. And here, it's, it's, uh, I want to read you one verse. Because Elijah, God's people Israel, were straying toward Baal. They were straying toward this idol who was not a true God. And, and he says this. He says, how long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. He's saying, get off the fence. And I think he could say the same thing to us. Are these other things, you know, competing with God? Well, choose. Either go all in with God or get over it and follow whatever you think is going to get you. And hopefully that will fail you, and it will, and you can come back and make God your first. Well, here, you know, Elijah then, uh, he issues a challenge to these prophets of Baal. He says, I want to prove who the one true God is. And so they have 400 prophets, and then Elijah's all alone. He says, get a bull. They get a bull. They put it on an altar. He gets a bull. He puts it on his altar. He's like, whoever's God can bring fire from heaven to consume it wins. That's the one true God. And they are starting to cry out to their God, Baal, their idol. And he's like, hey, maybe he's asleep. Cry louder. So they cry out louder. It's like, maybe he went to take a pee. This is what he actually says. Go read it. Maybe he's relieving himself and he can't, he's busy. And they're like, oh, maybe. And they start yelling. They start cutting themselves because that's how they worship that. It was a sacrifice. They started cutting themselves and doing all this. Their God never shows up. Elijah says, hey, bring some water. Douse mine. They douse it. Ah, Do it again. They do it, do it again. There's a trench around it full of water. It's all soaking wet. And he says, God, show them who the true God is, basically. Boom, fire comes, consumes everything. The rocks, the dust, gone. And then they take those prophets down and kill them. But th- this is God. This is, this is how God works. He is above all else. And he does not need to be protected. And he does not need the sacrifices that idols do. What are those things you sacrifice to get whatever it is? Here's the big difference. Our God, is there sacrifices he wants? Yes, but they're a joyful response because he sacrificed more. He always gives more than he takes. Always. That's what's wonderful about the one true God. He always gives more than he takes. What do you have as a Jesus follower? You have eternal salvation. You have the Holy Spirit to go through life with you. You have security. You have joy despite circumstances. You have a promise. He's like, I will take care of your needs like I take care of birds. You you don't have to seek all these things. Seek first my kingdom and I'll give you what you need. We have all of this. What joy there is in that. We are free for him to be first, to be number one. Number five, last one. Idols are not just psychological forces. They are demonic ones. 1 Corinthians 10 19 through 20, Paul writes this. What do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything? Or that an idol is anything? No. I imply that what the pagans sacrifice they offer to demons, not to God. This is why I started the way I did. Behind idols, there is demonic activity. Fallen angels leading us astray. The devil is real. Now, is he behind everything? No. Your flesh is enough to lead you astray. The world will lead us astray, but the enemy also. Any false god, and we can go through the list uh, of uh, Muslim, Mormon, Jehovah, go down the list. There's demonic activity there because every god that people put as a god, that's a false god, there are, there's demonic activity there. And so for us too, materialism. I mean, go down, there are, there's demonic activity in this stuff. 
They're trying to lead us astray. Again, I come back to this money thing. You don't think the enemy is involved with us financially? You know, the average American Christian churchgoer gives 2% of their money. And I'll tell you what, that is evidence of idolatry, that something else is more important. Look at where your money goes. And I don't say that because Common Ground needs money. I say that because you need your heart to belong to God, and your heart is connected to your wallet or your purse or whatever it is, your bank account. Because God made, or man-made gods are not gods at all. These things have not changed. If you remember back at the first temptation of Eve, he said, uh, Satan is tempting Eve and says, you could be like God. You could be your own God. Pride is the root of this idolatry. We want to be in control. So what are you pursuing to fill you that is not God? I did a little math equation. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. We don't need anything else. If we need Jesus, we're free that he can be everything. Give Jesus all of you. If you're here and this is new to you, God sent Jesus to die on the cross for your sins. You can have salvation and all we're talking about simply by bowing the knee to him, making him Lord of your life, believing that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead. That's it. And then though, but let's be honest, then there's going to be a following. Then he's going to change us. He's going to work in us and the enemy is going to try and stop that. And so for those of you who have surrendered to Jesus as Lord, what are those idols in your life that are in the way? Let's do like they did and let's burn them. Now, if it's your kid, don't burn your kid. But you know what I mean. Let's adjust our minds, right? Let's turn from these things and turn to Jesus alone because he's worth it. He will never fail. He gives more than he takes. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you're worth it. I thank you that you give more than you take. I thank you for your word that so clearly reveals the enemy's work, so clearly reveals your power over the enemy so clearly reveals uh, the success that you give above anything the world can offer. God, I do thank you that we're not called to be worldly successful, that you ask us to be faithful, and then you handle the rest. God, I do ask, Holy Spirit, as you're here, we know you're with us. We know you want to move in us. You want us to worship you. You want us to glorify you. Expose to us the idols in our lives so that we can get rid of them, we can turn and follow you alone. If there's anybody in here that does not know you as Lord, I pray that today would be the day of salvation. That they wouldn't walk out of here going, I need to go get better and then come to Jesus. No, that they would turn their life to you today and then let you take control. We love you in Jesus' name, amen. Now, as we worship, you respond the way you want to respond. We have our prayer walls up here. If you need to write down a prayer, go put it in there. I'm gonna be up here in this corner tucked away, out of the way. If you need prayer, come see me. If you hear this and you say, I need to give my life to Jesus for the first time, come see me. Let's worship.